She's the helpmate. She was the helper in the family. That kept, She was the glue that kept everything together. Paul recognized that. She is the manager of the, uh, of the family. you're thinking you're like he's wearing the same shirt yeah all right this video too strike why the iron's hot i record at night i live right by this road and there's all these cars and they're all loud doesn't sound good on camera my uh, media guy leland who is awesome he doesn't like the uh didn't like the sound stuff so we try to do it at night all right so uh video two we're looking at uh women in ministry oh this is such a fun deal and uh you have to go back and watch the first one in a little intro i gave in terms of you know my daughter is called to preach and uh, if uh, i don't know what denomination you are or uh, you know what you're a part of uh, in terms of a body of believers or kind of, a, uh, I guess, a tradition you come out of in Christianity. But I'm a Nazarene and we believe in women in ministry. I believe it's biblical. And um, we have some some uh, some teachers, some, you know, uh, academics, some some people. And I don't like any of that language. We have some very wise people that uh, have have really laid the foundation for women in our uh in our tribe, in our denomination. And I think it's great. So um, I've learned a lot of it from them and I've kind of, uh, um, you know, dug out the rest of myself. And so uh, the first video we looked at Genesis uh, chapters one, two, and three, which is the foundation of what we're being redeemed to. It's big. We're being redeemed. We're being brought back. And uh, women have a major role. They weren't just, Adam wasn't just the picture we got in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Adam wasn't, you know, out there doing it all. And women was in, you know, the women were inside, you know, cranking out the kids and, you know, cooking the meals, which there's, that's great. Nothing wrong with that. Okay. But what I'm saying is that she was ruling. And um, I, I really want, I really wrestled. I may throw this in later, go through the Proverbs 31 woman. And there's going to be people that's like, well, no, no, that's wisdom. That's not a woman. Whatever. That's a woman, dude. That's like, and it's wisdom to recognize that as a woman. And so, you know, there's, there's something about, I mean, and, and, you know, even in the Old Testament, you have Deborah, you have these phenomenal women, you know, Deborah was a judge, by the way. And you have these, you know, phenomenal women throughout the old, you know, old covenant that were just tremendous voices um, in the life of the people of Israel, Rahab. And, and I mean, there's women in the genealogy of Jesus and Matthew. I mean, come on. And then you have the ladies at the tomb led by Mary Magdalene um, that were really the first um, witnesses of the resurrection and were sent by Jesus to the men. I mean, all of that's really important. And of course, Jesus was, was living in a male dominated society in his, uh, you know, the first century in Judaism. Um, I, I, we covered this in the uh, Redeemed Sexuality uh, series, which we're going to expound on. I'm going to go over some of that again in different ways, but 
it was significant that we discovered in that series that and just lightly tapped on it. I'm going to go through that some of that again, just the depravity of Jesus day um, and how bad Israel was. I mean, God came uh, completely uh, recognizable. You couldn't miss him and they killed him. And so everything about we get to see, especially with marriage, um, how 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 immoral Israel had become. We looked at we look at Israel oftentimes in Scripture as as like the victim. They, they were not. Um, you, you, you'll pick this up um, when we're going through our eschatology series. You're, we're going to go through. In fact, I'm going to record this, I think, tomorrow. Um, we're going through the land of promise. And God, both in Leviticus 26 and in De- Deuteronomy 28, 29, he talks about it in Jeremiah and Isaiah. He even mentions it in Ezekiel. Micah chapter four gets into this. You know, God's like, you know, if, if you start committing adultery and you start doing these, you know, you know, serving other gods and worshiping other gods, um, you know, this is going to have to happen to you. Then this is going to happen to you. And those chapters, you can, you'll love that study, but you can, it, we're going to cover some of that. Like it gets progressively like crazy. There's stuff that, that God mentions in Leviticus, like there's going to be sieges and they're going to be, you know, oh, it's like, <laughs> I want to mention it. Like they're eating, they're becoming cannibals. I mean, it's, ugh, it's terrible. Like it's grotesque. I was reading, I was like, I can't, I can't put this on YouTube. Right. I mean, it's like, you need a, you need a mature audience to talk about some of this. And so my point is, is that there's this progression of judgment that eventually leads to exile. My point is, is that God had been speaking to Israel long before Jesus had come. And the exile that happened in AD 70, where people were launched, that was prophesied about. Like that was prophesied about all the way back from Daniel. Like that, that was going to happen. He's going to, the Messiah is going to be cut off and the people are going to be scattered. Like they were terrible. They were rebellious. My point is, is that in Jesus day, there's no way they would have received um, any kind of teaching about women in authority, about women created with a voice, how everything changes in a new covenant that we are restored back to Adam before he sinned and the nature, we can be entirely sanctified. We can be, our nature can be transformed and we can go back and, and we can see different. We can feel different. And I mean, just there's no way they would have, there's no way they would have received that. But, you know, Jesus had women in ministry. So for me, it's just, it's just not a stretch. It's not a stretch. So that's what we're talking about. A little bit of an introduction and, and we're going to have to do more on this. There'll be a little, um, uh, there's going to be a little category on our pre- playlist. And I hope you guys can find that. I have, I have people that, you know, go and like search through our videos. There's a playlist on my, on our YouTube. You can go and like scroll across the top and hit playlist. It says videos and all that, but there's a playlist and then there's like little categories that people can go and, and, and there's like, you know, redeemed sexuality and eschatology and word from word and, you know, identity, all these ones. We're going to have one that says women in ministry. And uh, we're going to continue to add to it. This is a really big deal. This is a really big. If you're, if you're a young lady, um, your sons and daughters will prophesy. I mean, that's that's characterizing our day and time. Philip had four daughters. I think it's in Acts 28, toward the end. Um, he had four daughters who, who prophesied. And prophecy was the greatest of the gifts. Prophesying. And it can be translated both preaching and uh, forth-telling from the Spirit. For women. Junius was a woman apostle. Paul mentions, mentions her in one of the Timothy letters. We're going to go through all that, but 
Hey, let's get into video two. Just get this real quickly. Uh, I rambled for seven minutes and 24 seconds. Um, Titus chapter two. This is a letter that's written by Paul to Titus. Um, and it's three chapters, 15 verses. Paul goes on all these missionary journeys and he like leaves his team like <laughs> kind of stranded all throughout the province of Asia. He goes into an area, stay sometimes a week, say sometimes three months. Um, you know, Ephesus, I think it was like three or two years he stayed. And so he kind of establishes, you know, a group there, or a ministry there. And then like, actually, if you're, if you're looking at Titus and you go back to verse four, uh, he tells Titus, oh, verse five, verse five of chapter one, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished. So there's, there's stuff to be done there. So Paul goes, has this phenomenal ministry, leaves, and he leaves Titus and a small contingent there to organize the body that has been birthed. And so there's a number of things that Titus is doing. He's at the first, in verse five, the first thing he does is appoint elders in every town. So this isn't just one church. This is a string all throughout the islands of Crete, of Crete a string of bodies of believers in every town. So Paul was like going after it. So there's, he, he, he traveled. With, with, you're under the impression he really traveled with a quite of an extensive group, you know, several several people that he was that he was um, both men and women that he traveled with. Aquila and Priscilla, he left Corinth and went into Ephesus in Acts 17 and 18. Anyway, so this group that he travels with, so Titus is leading this group here uh, in this location, and. Uh, he um, he just basically lays out. So when you go through Titus, uh, the first half of the letter is all laying out the church, um, you know, elders. And then he moves from el and elders uh, is one is chapter one, verses five through nine. And then the elders are going to deal with the Jewish contingent and and the circumcision group. That's pretty much all throughout the province of Asia because of the uh, the persecution of Rome and the diaspora and all that. And so he deals with those. The elders are to deal with those in verses 10 through 16. And then when you come into chapter two, he breaks up the church into older women, older men, younger women, uh, excuse me, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and then slaves. And slaves does not mean what we mean as slaves today. It more, it's like an indentured servant. It's like the guy that works for UPS, essentially. And so I want to look with you specifically at the language that, that Paul uses to describe women. Are you, are you with me? You with me? This is important. I want to look with you at the language. Paul has three pastoral epistles. Some of the instruction that's really problematic for women is out of Timothy, out of the Timothy letters. Um, that is not the case in Titus. And he wrote both. He wrote both letters. Uh, in fact, he wrote Titus after he wrote Timothy. And there's no mention of this kind of stuff going on. Now, Timothy was dealing in Ephesus with a more mature church um, and, and Ephesus had a different culture. If you look at anybody worth their salt, who's going to be walking through the difficulty with women in ministry as referred to by Paul, specifically in the Timothy letters, um, they're going to deal with the culture of Ephesus. There was a cultic, I mean, Ephesus, one of the cultic centers of, of demon worship, of false God worship, you know, in, in, in all of Asia Minor. And women were prominent in that. Women were the leaders. They were the authority in the religious cultic scene, not the men. And so women that were getting saved and brought into the church naturally took that position as having, they were the authority, not the men. And Paul says, that's not the deal. 
In fact, you know, if you get saved, you're going to sit there and you're going to be quiet. You're not going to bring in the world. That was the issue that was a, a, and there's tons of stuff written on that, um, on the cultural background. And you need to, before I think you, you know, come to any conclusion, good or bad, you need to do your due diligence. You need to study. You need to read this kind of stuff. So, uh, but my point in bringing up Titus is that look at how, how Paul talks about women. He, ha- he didn't change his opinion. <laughs> he didn't like write Timothy and say, yeah, you know, I think I'll, I'll say something totally different to Titus. No, it's like Paul, you know, has the same, has the same opinions. He just listened to the language. He doesn't get, cause it's a different culture going on that Paul's writing about through Timothy, but listen to the language that's used here in, um, in Titus uh, regarding women, which is in verses four and five. He says in verse four, regarding the younger women, that they're to love their husbands and children. And you can even go back, probably, pardon me, you need to go back to the older women. Teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach. To teach what is good. <gasps> I thought Paul didn't let any women teach. Yeah, yeah, context. You have to, you have to take, you have to take everything that's written in the New Testament into account. And if there's something that seems really odd in one place, you can't build a theology around that. You have to look at that and say, I wonder why it's different than every other place where he talks about women. From Genesis chapter one, the way Jesus talked about women. I mean, Paul's relationship with a, a, a Priscilla and Aquila. Um, and, and you can get into some of the scholarly articles on that, but they're outstanding in that Priscilla at times seem to take the lead in terms of some of that kind of stuff and how she's presented. And I mean, it's Priscilla and Aquila. So, you know, um, you know, they both set down Apollos. There was this, there was this kind of like, um, how would I talk about it? There's like this equal equality when they sit down Apollos in, in Acts 18 and, and instruct him more thoroughly in, 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 you know, the way of the Holy spirit, that was Priscilla and Aquila. Wasn't just Aquila and Priscilla brought in the coffee while they talked. See, you have all of this in the New Testament, and then you have this one little deal, one little deal, and we want to expound on it and say, oh, you know, you know, well, look what Paul says to Timothy. Well, look what he says here to Titus. You know, that older women were to teach. They they could teach, man. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, I want to. Say, can you read? It's like right there. But teach what is good, then. They can train the younger women to love their husbands and children. And here's the thing. People say, oh, yeah, okay, okay. Women teach, but they're only teaching the younger women. Well, look what he says to the younger women. They're to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, and to be busy at home. This is great. When you look up the phrase, busy at home, uh, oh, I got to put my, put this back on and hope no one calls because my iPad will ring. Okay. Busy at home is really neat because it is the word <laughs> oikurgos. Oikurgos. I butchered that. I should have practiced. Sorry. I like to look good when I'm saying this stuff. And it's translated busy at home. It's one word. Now, this is what's really neat. When you, I wish I could show you my screen here. I did this before, but it didn't come out well, so I stopped doing it. It's, it's only used here in the New Testament. But what's really neat about this word, it's made up of two Greek words. And one word is the word for home, 
which we've talked about this in other places. And home, there's a couple different Greek words for home. There's um, oikos and oikia. This is oikos. And, um, uh, you know, one has to do with um, structure, can be used in the context of structure, and one in the context it can be used as family. This word here, oikos, is used in Acts chapter 16 when Paul and Silas are in prison and, you know, they begin to pray and they're in stocks. God blows up the prison. Everybody's, you know, chains fall off. The jailer's going to kill himself. And Paul's like, don't kill yourself, man. And he pulls out Paul and Silas and says, hey, what, what, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you must be baptized, you and your whole household. That's this word. Paul says you need to be, you know, baptized, not you and your whole property, like, you know, back your double wide down to the river. He's not, that's not what he's saying. He's saying you need to be baptized all your family. So this word here, this term here is family. The, so it's a compound Greek word here. Busy at home is a compound Greek word. It's the word family. And then it's the word manager or steward. Now, I remember back when I was in college, I was a manager of a pizza restaurant. I was in charge. I fired. I hired. I, I said when people could go home. I said when, you know, they could uh, get off work. How long they, I, I, I was one assigned them their duties. That's, that's, what, that's what I was. I was a manager. That's this terminology. Now, think about this. The woman then is the manager over their home. They're the manager over their family. I've heard all my life, <laughs> it's hysterical. I've heard all my life that the man is the head of the household. Uh, no, he's not. The woman is. The woman from the mouth of Paul is the head of the family. The man is the head of the wife. So put this together. The man is the head of the wife. In fact, he'll tell the wife just in a couple phrases, she's busy at home. She's to be kind and she's be subject to her husband. Why? Because he's her spiritual head. You learn about that in Ephesians. The man, Christ is the head of the wife and, and, and man, uh, Christ is head of the home and man is head of the wife. Okay. So Christ is head of the family and that whole thing. And, and we'll go through that in Ephesians. But literally the woman is the manager of the family, which is real weird. So, so man is head of the wife and yet wife is head of the whole family, which the man is a part. It sounds like they're, it sounds like they're equal, like they both have authority in each other's lives. That's exactly what he's saying. The woman is the steward over the family. And, and there's tons of teaching on this. If you go back in the first century, the man, Peter, I love the chosen. He's out fishing all day. The woman is like, dude, she was more than just cooking and cleaning. She was raising the family. She was, she was teaching the children up to the age when the young boys could go off and they could learn. Um, if they were going to be, you know, a scribe or they're going to go, you know, learn in the, in, in official Judaism, you know, school down at the synagogue, uh, or they would go with their dad to learn their trade. The woman was the one that she was the disciplinarian. She was setting this, you know, the, she dealt with everything in the home, which is again, I mentioned this in the last video, I think the Proverbs 31 woman, she handled the, like the finances at home, you, you should go read it. Like you should just go read it. It's astounding. We want to like take our American culture and impose it on the text. That's just not true. Dude, the woman was the one that was fixing the toilet. Yeah, I probably didn't have a toilet, but like we have a toilet, but like they were the one fixing the roof. They were mowing the lawn. Like they were, come on, man. That was the woman. She was the big deal. She was the manager. She was the manager of the family in terms of health and, and like, 
She's the helpmate. That's still lingered. You can't get rid of that. I mean, even as bad as Judaism got, like she was the helper in the family. That kept, She was the glue that kept everything together. Paul recognized that. Paul recognized that. She is the manager of the, of the family. So she has a, a massive authority in the home over the phone. Like, like literally God entrusted the woman to be the incubator for his children. Like what she ate affected them. Her spiritual relationship with him affected that child. What she allowed in her body was affecting. Like if she was a demonic woman, that affected that child. Like that's a big, big, big deal. And then, of course, she was to be subject to her husband. And the word subject means coming under the authority of. So it's this idea that the woman is over the family of which the man is a part, but the man is the head of the wife. And he, she is, he, he is the, he is the voice in her life. He is the, he is the steward of that woman, the other half of his body. He has, he has a voice in her life. He has a covering. He has a, he has an authority over her, so to speak, which is, is at least the same as the authority that she has over him as the steward of the family. And it's, it's, it's really, it's really difficult because you want to be like, okay, hold on. You know, where does one star? Who's like, there's got to be a boss. I just, that's just not the New Testament stuff. Like when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said, if you want to be the greatest, become, become your brother's servant. I mean, they just think different than we do. I mean, even, and I, I didn't plan on bringing this up, but even if we were to look into, um, uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter five, <laughs> come on, Ephesians chapter five, um, when he goes down, he's talking about wives and husbands. He begins, a lot of people, like my NIV begins at, at verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. <laughs> okay. Wives and husbands. That's where it says. It's like, okay, right now, wives. But it, it, this is a flow in the middle of the chapter. It's verse 22. There's a verse 21. And verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So literally we submit to one another and then he goes into the wives and what a wife submitting to her husband looks like. Then he'll go down and a husband, what he looks like submitting to his wife. But see, we take that out of context. Well, in marriage, wives need to submit to their husbands. But go to verse 21, big dog. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is what it looks for a wife to submit to her husband and what it looks like for a man to submit to his wife, beginning down in verse 25. So husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So if you want to know what a godly husband looks like to a woman, look at Jesus. He never used the disciples for himself. He laid down his life. He never controlled them. He knew about Judas from the beginning. He never took the money purse away from him. I mean, come on. Judas was there at the last supper scene. Jesus washed his feet as, just like he did John and Peter and Matthew and the rest of them. He didn't control. He didn't manipulate. He's, he's phenomenal. So the language that's, that Paul is using is very consistent with the language of Jesus. He did not, let me say it this way. All women's rights come from Jesus, then Paul. Go to any other place in the world where Christianity is not the dominant religion and look at how women are treated. Seriously, I mean, I, I look at our country today and it's a, it's a joke. 
We have women that are marching on the street with Taliban flags, dressed up in their makeup and undone hair or their uncovered head, you know, with a voice to be able to, to yell. And yeah, do you realize you're, you're championing, championing a, a culture that exploits women? You'd be killed over there. It's just bizarre. It's a deception like I've never seen. Like I tell women all the time, if you, if you know, you'd be crazy not to be a Christian. You'd be crazy not to be a Christian, not to, not to love Jesus. He, he instills value and worth. Go look at the, go look at the, uh, you know, go look at the value of a woman in any is Islamic country in, in, in China. Go, go look at the value of women in Iran. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> come on. Like Christianity is the liberation of women in authority and ministry. It's incredible. Enough ranting. So third video is going to come out here uh, next week. And uh, I want to, because um, I want to release these. we got all kinds of videos coming out, but I want to release these back to back to back. <laughs> And I want to I want to go into the kind of ministry that women are uh, involved in. Um, they prophesy, you know. They cannot have authority over a man, but that's a covering. That's they're not they're not the they're not. See again, let me say this. We're going to get to this in the next video, but they were created equal. What Paul was saying is that a woman cannot have authority over the man. He was not saying that he wants men to dominate women. That's just not what he writes here in Titus. He didn't write that. So when you read in Timothy, I don't allow woman to have authority over man. We assume, oh, because it's men to have authority over woman. Now that's you, that's us Americans. <laughs> that's so we think. That's not what he thinks. Men and women were equal in the kingdom. It's not like, well, there's areas that men can go. That was the case in Judaism, but that's not how, that is, that is not how God created man and woman in the beginning. Go back and watch the first video. So I really want to persuade you that there is, there's language that is taken way out of context because of our American culture and because of an ungodly world. And it's, it's seeing the scriptures through a broken lens. That is, that is not how, how Paul viewed women. And it's not how he treated the women in his ministry, the tremendous authority. That hope, I hope that makes sense. I can't make it explain. I can't explain it any better than that. So, all right. That was video two. I love this. I love doing this. I love talking about things that I'm passionate about. And if you're a woman, if you're a woman and you have a call to ministry, if you're a young woman and you have a call to ministry, um, you need to find a place that values you and holds you, uh, hold you accountable, holds you accountable. Because just as men in authority have accountability to be husbands, um, your call to ministry does not does not permit you to not be a mom. It's big. Maybe we'll do a video on that in the future. What does ministry and motherhood look like? I don't know of anybody who's talking about this stuff. So anyway, all right. See you next time. <laughs>